All right. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Chiropractic Research Podcast Series. My name is Dr. Dean Smith, and I will be your host for this interview. Just a brief background about myself. I am a clinical professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Health at Miami University and also maintain a private practice of chiropractic in Eaton, Ohio at Essence of Wellness Chiropractic Center. My goals for producing these research interviews are to get the word out about chiropractic research from the experts that are actually doing the research. Dissemination of research findings is an important part of the research process. Publicizing these interviews passes on the benefits of chiropractic research to other researchers, chiropractors in practice, as well as practitioners from other disciplines and the wider community. Another goal is to encourage collaboration of researchers to promote future high-quality chiropractic science. Lastly, I'd like to motivate and assist practitioners and students alike to pursue research careers in chiropractic science. I'd like to point out that Chiropractic Science has partnered with chirocredit.com to make these podcasts a little bit more interactive. You now have the opportunity to hear the podcast live, as well as the opportunity to ask guests any questions that may have. Well, let's go ahead and get started with today's show. Today, I'm extremely excited to interview Dr. Christine Gertz. Christine Gertz, DCPhD, is Vice Chancellor of Research and Health Policy at Palmer College of Chiropractic. Dr. Gertz has extensive experience in the administration of both federal and non-federal grants, serving as both a PI and a funding official for many organizations such as NIH, the Samueli Institute, and PCORI. She is a veteran an integrative health care researcher, author, and speaker. Dr. Gertz has served as a principal investigator or co-investigator for a number of large-scale federally funded research studies, including a $7 million Department of Defense funded collaboration with RAND and the Samueli Institute conducting the largest study of chiropractic to date, which is currently ongoing. For over 20 years, she has addressed multidisciplinary science and health policy issues at the state and federal levels serving as a member of the American Medical Association's Measures Implementation and Evaluation Advisory Committee, chair of the American Chiropractic Association's Performance Measurement Task Force, and a program officer of the NIH National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, managing a portfolio focused on musculoskeletal disease, pain, and health services research. She is a fellow of the International College of Chiropractors, she received her Doctor of Chiropractic from Northwestern Health Sciences University and a PhD in Health Services Research Policy and Administration from the University of Minnesota. During this interview, we'll explore her research interests in integrative health for spine-related pain, as well as numerous other studies, some of which are ongoing. So, Dr. Gertz, thank you very much for coming on the show with me. It's my pleasure, Dr. Smith. Good morning. Good morning. Well, Dr. Gertz, can you tell me how you became interested in becoming a chiropractor? I, I can. I was actually on my way to medical school. I was an undergraduate student at the University of Minnesota when I, I had my, my oldest child, my, my son. And I had a difficult pregnancy and a, a difficult delivery. And there were many aspects or many times during that process where I really was feeling more like a, an object than, than a person. And, 
and really started to question whether I was interested in in um, in becoming a medical doctor or not. And I was living in Minnesota at that time, and it was the mid '80s, and there there was a great deal of the, the whole idea of um, health maintenance organizations was just starting to hit clinical practice. And so I went out and interviewed a number of um, physicians, mostly family practice docs, because that's what I was interested in. And and there was a fair amount of frustration right then with with medical practice and how it was changing because of managed care, et cetera. And so the combination of those two things really made me wonder if if I did want to go into the medical field. And I had had a woman in one of my chemistry classes that was interested in chiropractic and she'd told me a little bit about it and just that the emphasis was on treating the whole person and more of a, a wellness model and um, not not um, reliance on medication or, or surgery and, and that, especially at that particular time, really had a lot of appeal to me and so I went to what was then Northwestern College of Chiropractic and I, I did a tour and was just really impressed with the um with what I learned about chiropractic on that visit and excited about the the potential to join that field. Well that's excellent. Uh it sounds like things haven't uh haven't changed much and they have changed a lot all at the same time with uh HMOs and all of the insurance that is changing so rapidly these days. How long did you uh practice for once you got done chiropractic college? Right after I graduated from chiropractic school, I actually stayed on at, at Northwestern and worked part-time as a, as a research assess, assistant in the research department, and then also part-time as a clinician in their, their fairly new family, or family and faculty practice clinic. And so I did that for about a year until I, I started working on my PhD, and, and then even after I, I began working on my PhD, I still did practice relief for, for a couple of clinicians um, several times a year. So if they'd go on vacation or, or needed to be out of the office for some reason, I would go in and treat their patients. I did that for another couple of years. Fantastic. So what was your motivation to become a researcher then? Well, I, I'm, I'm a very curious person, and I, I like to dig around a, a little bit. And when I was in chiropractic school, I would be sitting in class, and a, an instructor would say, well, if, you, if your stomach hurts, you know, adjust the, or if a patient's stomach hurts, adjust the mid-thoracics, or, and sometimes there were disagreements uh, among some of our faculty about where to adjust for different conditions, and so I started spending more and more time in the library and looking, looking up the, the research, and also I had been a, when I, when I had my son, I, I, um, I had pregnancy-induced hypertension both right um, before he was born and right after, and I became interested in whether chiropractic might be able to be helpful for that particular condition. So again, I was looking for the research, and I was pretty astonished to learn how little research there was. You have to remember, this was 25 years ago, and at that time, there had really not been a single randomized clinical trial that had been that had been published. Other, there was a clinical study that that. Um, 
Dr. Robert Kane, who um, actually coincidentally became my my mentor when I was working on my PhD, had published in the in the mid '70s. But other than that, there was really not much out there. And and not too long after I started that quest, uh, what we all, we finally called the Mead study. It was um, Dr. Mead published. Uh, a study that was conducted in England that was really the first randomized clinical trial looking at at the outcome of chiropractic and spinal manipulation and and i I realized how little research was out there and and how how much opportunity there was and and was beginning to think about what a difference it might make to the chiropractic profession to the patients we serve if there if there was more research and and I, I I think I graduated or was getting ready to graduate at exactly the right time because the the chiropractic profession had just formed the consortium for chiropractic research under the direction of Dr. Bill Meeker, and and there was starting to be a, a growing group of chiropractic scientists at at the at the chiropractic educational institution. So there was really. Um, it, it was just a good time to be thinking about that. So I both had the strong interest and there was a, I think there was an opportunity there that maybe hadn't been there previously. Great. Now that uh, interest in hypertension actually formed your dissertation for your PhD, didn't it? It, it did. Uh, eventually, I'd, I had written a, a research um, proposal while I was while I was um, at, still at at Northwestern before I started working on my PhD to do a study on on hypertension and and I wanted it to be the best study ever and and I so I designed a study where where we would use chiropractic you know manipulation and you know, vitamins and exercise and everything I could think of that could possibly work. And then, and I got fairly far along on the proposal and then just got distracted by, by my, my, um, the thought of going to pursue my PhD. And so I, I put that proposal down and about a year into my PhD, I was, um, one of the, one of my instructors was, uh, a scientist by the name of Dr. Jim Neaton, and he had been instrumental instrumental in in a huge cardiovascular study called the Mr. Fit study. And I I asked him if he would be willing to take a look at my my proposal and and give me some feedback. And so I went and dug it out of the box that night and and read it and um, just basically threw it in the trash. <laughs> I realized that it was not time ready for prime time. Just that even that one year of of coursework on my PhD. I, through that, I gained a lot of knowledge about what research should look like and what it shouldn't. And but then I went back to him and and told him the the story. And he introduced me to a colleague of his, Dr. Richard Grimm, who is really a um, an expert in hypertension research at the University of Minnesota. And and that um, he was then at Henman County Medical Center. And so Dr. Dr. Grimm. Um, 
and I arranged to meet and I explained to him what I, I wanted to do. And, and he said, I'd be happy to help you in any way that, that I can. And, and so I started working on a research proposal under his mentorship that ended up becoming uh, fund was and ended up being funded by um, then it was FCER, the Foundation for Chiropractic Education and Research, and and that that was my thesis for my PhD. Yes. Excellent. Now you have authored more than eighty publications, if I've counted correctly. So you've been really busy. You're talking about digging up stuff. You like to dig up stuff. So you've dug up a lot of stuff in a positive, very positive way. And these works have been published in some of the top journals across multiple specialties, including JAMA, Spine, Spine Journal, Clinical Journal of Pain, JMPT, and others. Pretty, I mean, essentially too numerous to mention. Um, with your background in health services research, what questions, what important questions or hypotheses do you see regarding chiropractic at this point? That's a that's a an interesting question, and and I think the, the I think it was Einstein that said that if he had um, he had one hour to to solve a problem and his his life depended on it, he would spend the the first fifty five minutes figuring out what question he should be asking. And I I think it's really important that we are asking the the right questions and and that right question I think evolves over time. So when I when I first graduated from from chiropractic college, I I was involved. I was working on my PhD, and I was in. I um, eventually became the chair of the Minnesota Chiropractic Association's legislative committee, and so I was having a lot of opportunity to interact with people outside the chiropractic profession, but to talk with them about chiropractic and. At that time, the question that I'd get asked most often was, well, how does it work? If you can show me a mechanism of action, then I'll, I'll believe that, that chiropractic might have something of, of um, value to offer. So really, at that point, I think that the questions, the scientific questions really um, needed to focus around what were the mechanisms of action, and, and they, they largely did. Then I would say maybe about 15 years ago, I, I didn't get asked that question as much. I was more likely to be asked, how well does it work? What are, what are the, the outcomes of chiropractic care and, and how much does it cost? And so, again, a different research question and that, um, that many of us have worked really diligently over the, over the years to, to try to, to answer at least some aspects of, of those questions. And, and now I really don't get that question nearly as much anymore. The question that's most common is, how do I find a good one? talking about including chiropractic in accountable care organizations or patient-centered medical homes or just in a, a multidisciplinary practice. So when I, when I look at the questions that are important ahead of us, I, I, really, I really think there's, we, I think we need to keep asking and, and answering um, those questions about how does it work. And I think we need to continue to answer questions about how well does does chiropractic work and um, how much does it cost. But I, I think questions about how do we develop multidisciplinary care teams, how, how do we... Um, 
you know, what, what sorts of um, our guidelines of benefit, how, how um, can we test those guidelines using, using the research? Can we, can we develop a, a value equation that, that really, that is really relevant to chiropractic delivery? And then are we able to, co- to compare that to other types of care that's available and um, and see what the what the outcomes are so that patients really are able to make informed decisions when they're trying to figure out um, which direction to go in if they have musculoskeletal or, or other conditions fascinating dr Gertz uh, it seems that we've come a long ways in just your uh, dealing with other professionals and the types of questions they they are asking you that's that's really amazing I love that uh, now I've read a lot of your papers not all of them to be sure but uh, quite a few of them something I've really enjoyed in reading your studies has been the diversity of topics and I guess that gets back to the types of questions that uh, you've been asking over the years and the variability in the questions and what questions seem to be important at the time as well Um, So I'd like to ask you about some of your current and uh, more recent projects. The first one deals with the uh, study that's ongoing, and that is the uh, $7 million study funded by the Department of Defense, which, by the way, is the largest chiropractic study ever conducted to date, to to my knowledge. Um, So what's the purpose of that study? Uh, Where is it being conducted? Uh, What kinds of things are being measured um, in that study? And and are there any results yet that you can uh, discuss? Certainly, I'd be happy to tell you about that study because it is it is um, a really exciting project. So, several years ago, I guess it's been five, almost six years now. Um, Palmer partnered with the Rand Corporation and the Samueli Institute to put together a, a project that looking at, at chiropractic within the Department of Defense. And it's actually three different studies. the The first study is a randomized clinical trial of 750 people, um, 250 um, at at each of three sites um, across the country, where we're looking at what happens if you add chiropractic care to standard medical care and then compare it to standard medical care alone for enlisted military personnel who who have low back pain. And then the second study is looking at what happens to um, reaction times in our um, special operations forces following chiropractic. And then the third study is looking at at what happens with strength and balance following chiropractic care, again, in um, enlisted military personnel. So there, all these studies are in various stages, the 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 largest study of 750 people is we're really excited i just got the notice today that we only need to recruit one more person for for that particular project so we're excited awesome. to be yeah yeah at that point where we're achieving a really important milestone and i i think i i'm really particularly excited about that study because it it's a pragmatic trial so when you're when you when you worship at the altar of randomized clinical trials you're always trying to balance you're trying to balance a lot of things you're trying to you're trying to figure out how can you ask a, a question that's relevant both scientifically but also clinically and how do you how do you deliver chiropractic in a way that 
meets the needs of the individual patient and yet also is has enough consistency so that we're able to describe what actually happened to the patients in in a scientific journal and you can imagine the tension there is between those two goals so this is a this is a rigorously designed um, clinical trial, but it's a pragmatic trial. So what we're doing is we did not specify what sort of of standard medical care needed to take place. We did not specify what sort of chiropractic care needed to occur, though we did choose chiropractors who primarily use diversified um, spinal adjusting as their their main mode of operation, just again, so that we would be able to describe it. And then, and we're letting the clinicians do what they would normally do to, to treat these patients, but we're tracking it very carefully. So at the end of the study, we'll, we will be able to describe exactly what care those, those patients received. Well, I think the we pragmatic no- nature of the, the study is so uh, important in my mind. Uh, when, when I look at the chiropractic science, uh, you know, we see some studies that show, you know, adjusting C5 on the right demonstrates these kinds of results neurologically and and what have you. But it doesn't seem like real practice that, you know, you'd only adjust one thing. And so I'm really happy that uh, to see that this study is uh, pragmatic in that nature. And and yet it's testing a lot of uh, performance um, variables as well, which is another thing that uh, chiropractic has been, um, I don't know, maybe a little slow to get into. Uh, that's personally why I got into chiropractic research because at the time in the uh, um, early 2000s, late 90s, there really wasn't anything that I could see. And so that's uh, what my research is all about is performance. So I'm really happy to see that as well uh, as a major focus. And I guess that's probably what the Department of Defense wanted was uh, they had an interest in performance and, and how presumably we could keep the fighters on the field uh, without drugs and without things that would alter their state of consciousness, I guess. Uh, <laughs> does that sound about right? It, it does. I, I think that's. I think that that's exactly right. And uh, as you you may or may not be aware, musculoskeletal conditions, low back pain, are just a huge problem within the military. And it's not surprising, given how very hard they work and the conditions under which they they work and so the the opportunity to have um to have an impact to to that to be able to demonstrate if we're able to that that chiropractic can really be helpful in in decreasing pain and then also helping them do their job better is is really is really exciting to think about yes exactly now you've been Recently, uh, I heard of some expert panels, such as the NIH Task Force on Research Standards for Chronic Low Back Pain, and the American Medical Association convened Physician Consortium for Performance Improvement. What Can you tell us maybe just a little bit about uh, your experience on these panels, and then what can chiropractors learn from your experience? How do we translate what you're learning about into, into our practice? Well, I think that the NIH Task Force on Research Standards for Chronic Low Back Pain was a really interesting process because we were we were 
um, first of all, I had an opportunity to work with just some true experts in in the field of um, chronic low back pain. People like Rick Dale and Roger Chow and and Sam Dworkin were were all on that on that committee, and so that was that was exciting and and. Just it was interesting coming up with. We were asked to define chronic low back pain, and and we actually discussed a lot. You know what should be the definition, and finally ended up um, saying the definition should be a chronic low back pain. But then we went beyond that to try to operationalize it. So, you know, and we basically operationalized it as as back pain that has been that you've had you know, pretty much every day for three months or at least half the days over, over a six-month period of time. And then came up with what is a, what's a standard data set, a mid, standard minimum data set that you would want to collect in every single study that you do on low back pain. And one of the, one of the problems that we have with with studies on chiropractic or spinal manipulation or even low back pain in general is that the the type of data that that we collect the outcomes that we collect really vary in the ways that we collect it varies and so it makes it really really hard to look across multiple studies and and try to come up with a with one conclusion that can be really of benefit to patients when they're trying to figure out which treatment would they think might be most likely to to work for them. So, so we we came up with pain and and pain interference as as two of our the primary outcome measures that really need to be considered as as well as a number of other functional health status measures and some basic demographic information that we'd want to know about all of our patients. Again, as we're trying to generalize our outcomes, we really need to people need to understand what type of population was was included in that particular study. So that that was a that was a really um, interesting experience. And then working with the American Medical Association's Physician Consortium for um, Performance Improvement, I was first on the Measurement um, Instrumentation and Evaluation Committee, and now I'm on a uh, Measurement Advisory Committee. And through that, I had the opportunity to co-chair a work group that that published a paper looking at, at how to... Um, convert um, patient reported outcomes into performance measures for for registries, et cetera. And again, had an opportunity to work with some really excellent scientists in in that project. It's in in both of those cases, I was um, well in the in the case of the um, the AMA task force. I I was the the only chiropractor that was involved in that particular effort. There were there there was um, another doctor of chiropractic, Doctor um, Partap Kalso, who is a program official at at NIH, who was also on the NIH task force on research standards. So, but I'm pretty used to being the the only doctor of chiropractic in in the room, and and I I think that what we can learn from from that experience what i've learned from that that um experience is that 
we, we have our best opportunity if we can figure out how to contribute to the overall mission of, of whatever the, the committee or task force has and to, um, to really talk about chiropractic within that context. And also to have, to have, I think it's really important to have that background and knowledge and skills in chiropractic because that, that then becomes your, your North Star or your center as you, as you're, you're thinking about how things can move forward. But also, um, in most cases, I've had other skill sets that were equally important in, in, in trying to accomplish a, a task. So my research background or my, my experience in various health policy arenas, et, et cetera. So I would say that, that having chiropractic experience is necessary, but sometimes for some of these opportunities, it's not sufficient. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you very much for being on those panels. It means a lot to chiropractic, I think, to be represented. And uh, and so anyways, we're really happy that you can be on those for us. Uh, just this past month, JMPT released a paper from Palmer College discussing perceptions of doctors of chiropractic by the general public via the Gallup panel. Can you tell us what the significant findings of that were? Well, I, we were we were really excited to to have the opportunity to to work with Gallup on on this particular um, on this particular project. I think that we as a chiropractic profession tend to to think that we know what the patient perception is, and and I think sometimes we're right, and and sometimes we're we're probably wrong, and. To learn that um, that the majority of U.S. adults thinks that chiropractors are effective at treating um, neck pain and back pain, I, I think that that was that was um, not so much of a surprise, but it, it was it was exciting to see uh, the the fact that chiropractors are not the first healthcare um, provider of choice for for when it comes to general health and and wellness issues such as diet and nutrition was something I think that was really important for us to know, um, though, it, though it was a little bit of a, of a disappointment. I, th I think that as we're looking at um, our opportunities to educate patients about chiropractic, as we're looking at opportunities to strengthen our the chiropractic educational um, process, that having some sense of where the, the perception is can, can help us with, with um, both of those things. Yes, indeed. Another recent paper, and this gets back to uh, something that you discussed earlier, dealing with integrating chiropractic into uh, mainstream health, uh, was in the journal Spine, and it looked at changes of pain levels and physical functioning in response to standard medical care uh, versus standard medical care plus uh, chiropractic care. And this was done within the active duty military personnel community. Uh, for the ages of 18 to 35. This paper strikes me as a really important paper, not that the others aren't uh, really important as well, but it, I, I think this is uh, one of a few studies that have looked at the integration of chiropractic. How was it conducting that study, first of all, and then um, how, how did the findings contribute to our science? This was a this was a, a interesting project for me because I actually started working on it while I was at the Samueli Institute, which is where I 
where I was working before I came to Palmer. So I, I had gotten a grant from the Department of Defense and there was some flexibility about the type of research that, that we did. And so I had this idea of doctors of chiropractic and doctors of osteopathy working together to do research projects in, in the military, not where we would compare them against each other, but that just that we would work together in, in designing, um, designing a research project. And so we got quite far along in the design, but hadn't re really identified a, a site yet when very coincidentally, I actually changed, um, changed positions and came over to Palmer. So I, I had the unique opportunity of originally being somewhat of a, a funder of this particular project and then ending up being the, I was a PI of the, of the overall grant, but, but a funder to, to Palmer for the project to being the, the PI of the project. And I think the study is really important for a number of reasons. One is that it really looked at a different population than we've tended to attract in some of our other clinical trials. So these were people that were um, 18 to 35 years of old. The majority of um, people that are in other studies on chiropractic for low back pain have tended to be middle-aged women, actually. And so it, it was exciting to have this different population. In addition, our, our, our research studies tend to overwhelmingly attract um, Caucasian participants, and there was a lot more racial and ethnic diversity in, um, in this particular study. And then finally, I think it was important because it, it actually served as, as the pilot study for the large study of 750 people that we're, that we're just finishing up now. Excellent. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about a paper uh, back in 2012, not long ago, uh, where you were the lead author that looked at spinal manipulation for low back pain that showed a small but consistent treatment effect at least as large as that seen in other conservative methods of care. But one of the things that you commented on, and I, I'd like to just explore this a little bit, is the heterogeneity and the inconsistency in reporting that you found within the studies that made it difficult to draw definitive conclusions. And I see a lot of papers with this, and um, I think I have some good ideas why, but I'm curious to see uh, and hear from you why you think uh, we have this significant amount of heterogeneity is it uh, is it dealing with um, how we define things is it dealing with the populations is it dealing with um, some being pragmatic some being not or just a hodgepodge of of all of those things yes <laughs> it is it, it really is all all of those things it's uh, well one of the one of the problems is that we're dealing with both a condition low back pain and a treatment, um, spinal manipulation, for which we, do, we don't really have nailed down the mechanism of action. We don't really have it completely nailed down what causes nonspecific low back pain. We don't really have nailed down how how spinal manipulation is, is helpful or even, you know, what is the, the contribution of various aspects of the, the doctor-patient encounter that that lead to some sort of positive outcome. So when when there's so much unknown, to a certain extent, you really are 
just reaching into a, a black box and, and, and uh, you know, sort of somewhat blindly deciding on what the most important question is, maybe based on your own clinical experience or maybe based on the, the literature that you've read and, you know, your own ideas, et cetera. And so since we all are reaching into a different black box and since we all have different experiences, it can lead us to um, asking different questions or even asking um, the same question in a, in a slightly different way. And, and the NIH Task Force on Chronic Low Back Pain was designed exactly to address that, that very issue. And so I, I think it will take some time for, for that to change, but, but I, I, hope that, I hope that it will over, over time because, again, it, when there's so much heterogeneity in there, it, it makes it really difficult to be able to um, draw definitive conclusions. And if you, if you look at the various systematic reviews that have been done on, on you, know, all, you know, conservative care for, for low back pain in general or, you know, um, spinal manipulation specifically, you can see that a lot of times the, we, the authors of those have, um, those systematic reviews have had trouble coming up with definitive conclusions or conclusions that are as positive as, as we might like. And, and I think this, the heterogeneity is, is one reason why that's the case. And, and it, it also makes, one of the, th the things that's really frustrating for me as both a clinician and as a scientist is that we, we in clinical practice, we see really pretty um, striking results on a, on a pretty consistent basis. We see our patients getting a lot better and, and, and that betterness is, is reflected in, in our clinical studies in the level of patient satisfaction and in you know, sort of perception of improvement, but not always necessarily reflected in the the primary outcome measures that we use to to determine whether someone has gotten better or not. So, if we're if we're comparing chiropractic to say you know say medical care and we're using numerical rating scales and say the the Roland Morris um, disability questionnaire to try to figure out what are people's levels of pain and function both before they um, before they start the study and when they're done with the study a common finding will be that at the end, the, there's not very much of a difference between those two groups, though the, the group that gets the chiropractic care may have done a little bit better, but it's usually um, categorized as a mild to, to moderate effect. And yet, if you ask the patients how satisfied are you or, and how much do you think you improved, the people that go to a chiropractor are tend to have much more positive responses to those two questions than than people in some of the other groups and and so perhaps some of it has to do with heterogeneity some of it probably has to do with the fact that the the instruments that that we're using to measure outcomes may not be sensitive enough to pick up changes that are happening to patients that are really important to them this is this is is an area that that is starting to get more and more attention. This whole concept of patient-centered outcomes research and really looking at at it from the patient perspective. And I I, th I think that it's really critical for in general and and um, 
and and certainly critical when we're evaluating chiropractic care. Well, really good stuff. Uh, I think you really nailed it with uh, your discussion of the heterogeneity and and how chiropractors in practice seem to see these you know incredible results, and yet in the science we you know we see narrow margins so to speak, of performance changes or pain changes and the like. And I think once we can uh, really hone in on either the measurement devices, you know, what kind of measurements we're taking uh, and reducing that heterogeneity, then I think we'll start to see the real clinical improvements start to come through from that swamp of variability that we're seeing now when we go to analyze our studies. So very good. I love that discussion. Now, You've also done some studies looking at the cost effectiveness of complementary and alternative therapies and more specifically chiropractic care. And I'm thinking of a couple of studies, one in JMPT in 2010 that looked at the cost of care for common back pain conditions initiated by chiropractic doctor versus medical doctor or um, osteopathic doctor as first physician. And then another one in medical care. 2012, the Association of Complementary and Alternative Medicine Use and Healthcare Expenditures for Back and Neck Problems. It seems that chiropractic uh, from these studies and certainly many others that uh, have been published in the last four or five years uh, are showing that chiropractic doesn't seem to add a whole lot of cost to healthcare and if anything may actually reduce cost. Does this strike you as a, a correct statement? It, it, it does. It does. We, we don't have nearly enough studies looking at the, the cost and cost effectiveness of, of chiropractic care. And the, the majority of studies that are out there have um, some design issues that, that make it a little bit difficult to extrapolate results, especially for, um, especially for policymakers. And it has to do, one of the issues that we face is that the people that go to a doctor of chiropractic um, are not necessarily the same as the people who don't. So p- chiropractic patients tend to be healthier. They tend to um, be a little bit um, more educated and be have a, a little bit higher socioeconomic status. And so and just healthier in general, which in in a way is not very surprising, but it. Um, it means that it's really difficult to to compare the cost of treating that population to uh, to a population that that may um, be more um, have more more comorbidities, be less healthy in in general. Because people that are less healthy in general are more expensive to treat um, to um, to care for. Period. So that's always a prominent, if we haven't really done the really large scale, you know, thousands of people randomized clinical trials where we, you know, pragmatic trials where we're really able to, to look at cost in, in a way that, that could be more, more compelling. So the, the medical care article that, that you talked about was, was really an exciting project to have an opportunity to be involved with because what happened there is we took, um, a large nationally representative um, survey. It's actually um, called the Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, and and we 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 looked at the people who had um, back pain and, and neck pain, and and then looked at what the what the costs were if they went to a CAM provider or not. And even though the study talks about 
CAM, complementary alternative medicine, you can actually substitute the word chiropractic in um, for CAM in every place that it's inserted, more or less, in that particular study because the analysis was done looking at just chiropractic and it came out the same because over 80% or approximately 80% of the the CAM practitioners were doctors of chiropractic. So they were the big, the big drivers in, um, in this particular study. But what was different about this study than some others is we had a little bit of information on outcomes. You know, how were they, how were they, they feeling? And, and we were able to do some propensity scoring. So it's a, a um, it's a statistical tool that that allows you to control for for some of those variables that may predict higher higher expenditures regardless of of the use of chiropractic care and 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 what we found is that um, if you went to a doctor of chiropractic, it costs no more and actually cost a, a little bit less um, than if you did not. And interestingly, the majority of that health cost was actually for inpatient expenditures rather than, than outpatient expenditures. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, one thing comes to mind uh, with that discussion early in the discussion was you were saying that it's difficult to compare the populations because the ones that tend to go to chiropractors tend to be healthier, uh, et cetera. And I wonder if this is not an opportunity seeing some of the previous work you've done in integrating chiropractic care into the healthcare uh, model a little bit better, if uh, we'll start to see that some of the sicker people really respond better with uh, chiropractic care because they've essentially got a lot more room to improve in their health uh, makes me wonder what kind of results we'll see, and and if we'll see even you know more promising results that way. Um, well, I, I think so. that's certainly possible. I mean, one anecdotal example I can give you of that is I was involved with the the um, chiropractic demonstration project in the Department of Defense about twenty years ago, almost twenty years ago um, is when it started, and. And one of the things that we found is we, we measured a whole bunch of things. We looked at outcomes and et cetera, but we also looked at, um, we measured provider satisfaction with, with, with the doctors of chiropractic within these military bases. And I can, we measured it, you know, either right before the chiropractors came on base or, or shortly thereafter, and then measured it every year um, from thereafter. And what we found is that, chiropractic that the other clinicians became just more and more and more positive about chiropractic as as time went on and so we we just went in and informally asked hey what what's going on we noticed that your perception of chiropractic has really improved a lot and one of the stories that we heard is a doctor said you know when when they brought chiropractors on base i really didn't think we needed them i thought that we were handling musculoskeletal conditions just just fine as as we were and i i didn't really know very much about chiropractic and i was opposed and so some of us got together and we just started sending our worst patients to the chiropractor. You know, the patients that were just showing up and just really yeah. chronic yeah. and really ill. And, you know, they they start to get better. <laughs> and so then we started thinking, wow, there might be something to this. And so, again, I have no I don't have any data on that, but um, certainly an interesting story. And I've heard some 
some version of that story, you know, over over the years and, you know, when chiropractic has been brought into, you know, various other healthcare delivery systems. Sure, sure. Well, I'll just go ahead and make that hypothesis. Uh, <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Uh, <laughs> once we get the data, we can always, uh, you know, it's an iterative process, right? We can always refine our ideas later, but I'll just throw it out sure. there for now. Um, so, um, one of the things that I'm really curious about with, with all of your dealings uh, with non-chiropractic professionals, people that high levels in some of these other professions, when people ask, well, I don't even know, do people ask you to tell you what is chiropractic? Do you ever get that or um, do you, do they have a pretty good idea about what chiropractors do now? They really don't. And, and I, I, I like to, I like to joke and say that, you know, I've spent, you know, most of my profession actually in settings that, um, that were not at, at chiropractic institutions and, and that a lot of my time is spent in, in meetings of various kinds. And when I go to a meeting, I, I look around and if I'm the only woman that I'm probably at a chiropractic meeting. And if there are more there, I'm not the only woman that I'm probably the only chiropractor in the room. And, as and so I I I've am frequently the only chiropractor that that some of these other healthcare providers or policymakers have have seen up close and I I think you know there are times when I have run into bias you know sometimes some really pretty shocking bias but more, much more commonly I I. I run into people that are confused because they don't really know what um, what chiropractors do. They they um, have had patients that go to a chiropractor, but they they hear lots of different things about about the treatments that that they receive, which makes them um, wonder what you know what what is really going on. Uh, it's just um, so I I think that the more that that other other folks have exposure to chiropractors, you know, myself, but but to other doctors of chiropractic as well. I, I think that's really the way to help um, help um, eliminate some of some of that bias. But it's certainly a way to eliminate some of the the concern or or curiosity that's that's out there. Okay, great. Uh, as we start to wrap up, just a couple more questions. Uh, what are some of the important research findings from over the your career that you'd like to emphasize well I'd, i i some of the most exciting studies that i've had an opportunity to be involved with in chiropractic um are the 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 studies on on cost the medical care um study i was a um and then the the study on um on spinal manipulation, um, chiropractic spinal manipulation, um, plus standard medical care versus standard medical care in, in the military, both the study that um, that we already conducted, the pilot study, and then the the study that we have um, ongoing. I think those are, again, looking at you know cost and um, and and effectiveness. Uh, I, I think that those are the directions that we need to be going in. Um, anyways, there's a there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Agreed, and you've done a lot of work, and I'm sure you're going to do a lot of great more stuff for us. Um, what do you see as some of the pressing issues within the profession at the moment and in the near future? 
Well, I think to really be able to focus a research agenda around that question of how do we find a good one? You know, can we devolve, develop models of um, collaborative care that include doctors of chiropractic and other um, other healthcare providers to um, to to take care of patients in a way that that's really patient centered and 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 really focuses on and is individualized to the the needs of those particular patients. I I think that Palmer has committed to. Um, to funding the the beginning of a of a registry for on on spine related conditions, so starting to collect uh, data in in chiropractic um, offices, so that we're able to find out even more what's happening in in that pragmatic real world, and and I hope someday to compare it to what's happening in clinical trials, you know, standardizing outcomes and patient population, et cetera, so that we can start to maybe a answer that question of why, why do we sometimes see something different in practice than, than we see in our, our clinical trials. So I think that that's a really exciting um, future direction. I'd love to do more. We talked a little bit about heterogeneity, and there's so much heterogeneity in chiropractic practice, but if, if we were able to conduct research where we're able to to collect outcomes data in in your office, for example, and then to to compare your outcomes to the outcomes of, of doctors in your region or even across the country and then try to figure out what are some of the things that you or other providers might be doing that really enhance patient recovery and can we can we replicate those? Can we teach those those things um, even better than we do now in our in our chiropractic educational systems and through continuing education, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a goal of this podcast series is to motivate and assist practitioners and students to pursue research careers in chiropractic science. Can you offer any advice to aspiring chiropractors or even non-chiropractors that are interested in uh, such a career in chiropractic science? Well, I, I would, um, those of you who are considering a, a career in chiropractic science, I would really encourage you to um, to consent to continue to pursue that. We we need a lot more scientists. There are a lot more questions to be asked and many of us are getting old. <laughs> you know, we need to we need to do even more than we're we're doing already to uh, mentor the next generation. So, some ways that that you can get um, involved in research first to to read the literature and be aware of of the research that is out there to, to think about how you can have an evidence-based um, practice uh, of your own. Think about doing case studies and case series. I think those are really, really important and a good way to, to start to learn more about the scientific methods. There are you know, master's programs out there. Um, Palmer, for instance, we have a master's program here in clinical research where, where our students spend um, two years getting a, a, an MS degree in, in clinical research research and about half their time is spent in um, classroom um, classroom learning and about half of it is spent actually working here at the Palmer Center for Chiropractic Research in our research clinic and so learning you know from from both perspectives how how research really how research really works and a number of our students have have then um, gone on to pursue their PhD or gone into you know 
practicing in multidisciplinary um, settings or or gone on to the faculty at a chiropractic educational institution to um, to go that route. So I, I my advice would be to to really look for for opportunities. And NIH has a number of training awards on for um, for people who are interested in um, in getting advanced degrees in, in research and it's not easy to, to get these. I'm not going to pretend that, that it is, but, but that, that is a real opportunity that's, that's out there. And, and definitely finding mentors too, finding, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, myself or Dr. Smith, there are any, any number of us who would be happy to talk to you about your interest in a career in research and, and give you any guidance that we could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Gertz, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Any concluding marks that you'd like to uh, share with everyone? Well, I would just like to make everybody aware of a... Um of a, a new initiative that that we're doing here at at the um, at the PCCR, it's our, it's actually our 20th anniversary this this year, and we're very excited about that. And one of the one of the things it's becoming increasingly harder to to get federal funding for research, and and we've learned that sometimes the research interests of the chiropractic profession don't always align completely with the research interests of um, of the federal government. I get asked a lot, why do you primarily study low back pain and neck pain? Well, one of the reasons is because that's primarily what pa- patients um, see us for. About 92% of chiropractic practice is focused in those two areas. And But one of the reasons also is because that's what I can get NIH funding to um, to study. Remember, my, my thesis was a um, was a study on, on high blood pressure. <laughs> so, so looking at other conditions beyond musculoskeletal, doing the research is something that's always been interesting to me, and so what what we've done is we've started a, a fundraising campaign, and we are we are asking twenty thousand chiropractors to give us twenty dollars a year to to do chiropractic research, and if we're if we're successful in um, in raising the funds, not only do we want to do some of this sort of collaborative, you know, out of the box research, but we're also interested in using that to fund the the next generation of chiropractic scientists. So anyone who would would consider um, contributing to this effort, if you go to palmer.edu slash 20, you'd find more information and and how to make your $20 donation. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. That is such a great idea. Um, I had Dr. Heidi Havik on last month and we were talking about the woes of uh, research funding and and that, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult to study all the stuff that you want to simply because of that issue of trying to get the funding and so thanks again for mentioning that. That uh, concludes the podcast for today. So thanks everybody for listening in. My next podcast will be with Dr. Michael Schneider on December 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you soon.